Thank you, Brother Phil. I appreciate that. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1, if you would. Genesis chapter number 1. Brother Gene, would you mind to do me a favor? Uh, would you count? I, I meant to have somebody count before service. If, Luis? Brother Gene, you're, you're dismissed. I have a young man down here that's volunteered to count. Is that right, Luis? It's fantastic. Genesis chapter number 1. Bible says in verse number one, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. According to the Bible, there's only one beginning. So when you go to the Gospels and you see Jesus reference the phrase, the beginning, oftentimes <clears throat> he is talking about this event right here. He is talking about the beginning of time when God, about 6,000 years ago, in six 24-hour days, created everything that was. And when God created his creation, it was so good that even God was impressed with it. Notice the quality of God's creation in verse number four. The Bible says, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Notice what the Bible says in verse 10 of the same chapter. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he sees. And God saw that it was good. Notice verse 12 at the end of it where it says, whose seed is, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself and God's, uh, after its kind and God saw that it was good. Notice in verse 18, the sun, moon, and stars were good. The Bible says in verse 18, and to rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from the good, I'm sorry, to, to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. Notice when God created the fish and the fowl that it was good. The Bible says in verse 21, And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth which, was, uh, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Notice the beasts of the earth were good in verse 25, And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And then when all of creation was finished, in verse 31, God stepped back, and the Bible says in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so God was impressed with his own creation. He called it good many times. And then ultimately, when the crowning jewel of God's creation, mankind, was finished, he looked at everything, and God called it very good. And so in one chapter, Genesis chapter 1, God created everything that was. And in one chapter, Genesis chapter 3, man destroyed everything that was. And the rest of the Bible is the story of God putting it all back together. That's effectively what the Bible is. Go to Genesis chapter 3. And what you will notice is after Adam and Eve had sinned against God, after they had taken of the fruit of the tree for which they were forbidden. Notice a few things in Genesis 3 that enter the pages of Scripture. These are not things that God created from the creation. These are byproducts of the fall. These are byproducts of sin. And notice what is entering the pages of Scripture for the first time ever in verse number 8. The Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve, watch this, hid themselves. Hiding enters the pages of Scripture. Sin 
causes us to hide. Notice what happens in verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Fear enters the pages of Scripture. Notice verse 16, what enters the pages of Scripture. This is, again, man destroying the earth. This is the earth that man wants to live in. This is it right here. Verse 16, the woman's, uh, and unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Sorrow enters the pages of Scripture. It's actually listed twice uh, there toward the woman. In verse 17, and unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree, which I have commanded thee, saying thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles, there's thorns and thistles entering the pages of Scripture, shalt, eat, uh, shalt bring forth unto thee. Thou shalt eat of the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. Notice sweat enters the pages of Scripture. All of these things enter the pages of Scripture after mankind destroys that which God called good. But what I'm interested in tonight is the curse of the ground, starting in verse 17. We just looked at it. This is the curse of the ground. Satan was cursed in verse 14. And in verse 17, the curse of the ground appears. The Bible says in verse 17, and, Adam said, um, uh, and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Don't miss that. Cursed is the ground. Notice who fault, whose fault this is in verse 17. For thy sake. God points the finger at Adam and says, This is your fault. She had an influence over this. She had an influence over you. But this is your fault. For thy sake. It is, uh, he, he goes on. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it. All the days of thy life. Verse 18. Thorn, by the way, this is the same sentence. Verse 18. Thorns and thistles shall it. That's the ground still. is still cursing the earth. Still cursing the ground. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy, fa uh, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground. For out of it. What, there's the word it. There's the ground again. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art. And unto dust thou shalt return. Don't miss that phrase in verse 17. Cursed is the ground. You see, this was a massive punishment for Adam. Adam seems to have a very direct connection to the ground. You see, Adam's very name means red. Many people think it means red earth. Uh, the Bible actually tells us we're close to the neighborhood. Go to chapter 2, verse 5. The Bible tells us in verse 5 of chapter 2, uh, at the end of the verse, it says there was not a man to till the ground. And so the ground was, was, was not complete until there was a man to till it. There seems to be a connection from the man to the ground. Notice in verse 7 the connection from the man to the ground. Verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life and man became a living soul. And so man has a connection to the ground. In fact, notice how important the ground is in verse 9. It says, out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And so this ground before the curse was so plenteous and so bountiful that God could make human beings and trees and animals grow out of this ground. That's how plentiful and bountiful the ground was. 
Adam himself was pull, pulled from the ground. In fact, go back to chapter 3. That's what he closes with in this curse. Notice how he closes the curse in verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, what is dust but a part of the ground? For, uh, for, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so this curse of the ground, understand, it would have been a massive blow to the man. In fact, the entire three verses regarding this curse is just one long sentence about, the, about God cursing the ground. And so there's a connection between mankind here in this text and the ground. You see, the curse of the ground, it would have been a life-altering experience for Adam. Up until this point, Adam had never seen a rose with a thorn in it. Up until that point, Adam didn't even know what it was like to work out in the ground with sweat dripping from his face. Up until this point, in a certain sense, Adam didn't even know what really hard work was really like. Notice the symbol that God gives this cursed ground, this newly cursed ground in verse 18. Notice the, the literal uh, 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 growth that happened, but it also becomes a symbol throughout the scriptures in verse 18. The Bible says, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. You see, instead of the ground bountifully bringing forth every tree that had the fingerprint of God upon it, now the ground would bring forth bountifully every thorn and every thistle that had the fingerprint of man upon it. And so the next time you look at a rose, you can look at the petals and see the fingerprint of God. And you can look at those thorns and see the fingerprint of man. Because thorns and thistles is the new symbol throughout the scriptures, both literally and figuratively, of what this new growth, this new sin-cursed world would bring forth. Tonight, let's look at some thorns from the ground. Go to Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter number 4 tonight. Mark chapter number 4, Jesus is going to tell a parable. It's a very famous parable. It's a parable of the sower. The Bible says in Mark chapter number 4 and verse number 2, it says, And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Watch this, verse 7. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Notice what happens here. There's a sower that's sowing something. What is this sower sowing? The Bible tells us what the sower is sowing in verse 14. Notice verse 14. The sower soweth, what's it say right there? The word. So in this parable, the sower is casting the seed, which is symbolized. It's the word of God that's being symbolized here. And the sower, whether it's God, whether it's a preacher, whether it's a parent, whether it's some spiritual leader, is sowing the word of God. And so what we know in this parable is that the seed is never at fault. The seed is never wrong. The seed is always right. The seed will always produce something if it falls into the right earth and the right soil with the right circumstances. It will always yield fruit. The problem is, is that this sower doesn't always get his seed where it needs to be. 
We see that there are various types of earth here. We see that there's the wayside. We see that there's good ground. We see that there's stony ground. And here in verse number 7, we see that this earth is called thorns. And some of this seed fell among thorns. Notice what happens to this seed that falls among thorns in verse 7. Some fell among thorns, watch this, and the thorns grew up. Now that shouldn't surprise us because if we remember back at Genesis chapter 3, verse number 18, the Bible says that thorns and thistles shall it bring forth. Meaning you don't have to work for thorns and thistles. The new cursed ground, God said, hey, listen, thorns and thistles, they're just going to come up. It's going to be brought forth from the earth. And that's what's happening here in verse number 7. These thorns grew up. You didn't have to water them. You didn't have to plant them. The seed was choked by this natural occurrence of this cursed ground where the thorns were growing up. Once the thorns grew up, notice what happens in verse 7. It says the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no fruit. So what do we have here in verse 7? We have a sower with good intentions of sowing good seeds, sowing the word of God, trying to get it into people's hearts. But the thorns grow up. The thorns choke the word of God. And because of the thorns, think about it, because of the thorns of life, the word of God was not able to bring forth fruit. So I know thorns aren't good. I can tell that by the text. I know in my own life, if I have thorns in my life, I know that's not good. But here's my question. What are thorns? According to the Bible, what are thorns? What are these things that grow up and choke the word? I don't want to be choked. I don't want the Bible to be choked out of my life. What are the thorns? The Bible tells us in verse 18. Notice what it says in verse number 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns. And so we're about to find out what the thorns of life are. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word that we've already remembered that the seed was sown, the sower threw down the seed. The, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Here it is. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And so what are the thorns of this world? It's defined for us. It's three things. The thorns of this world are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. Let's look together at these three things, these thorns that can choke out the word of God in our life. Remember, this is a sin-cursed world symbolized by the literal and figurative thorns and thistles in our lives. And these are the three things, these are areas in which God is warning us that will choke out the word of God. Number one, the cares of this world. Now notice what it says. It says the cares of this world. It does not say the sins of this world. See, many of the thorns in your life, they're not sinful things. They're necessary things, but they're just thorns. What are they? They're thorns. They're they're, they're the cares of this world. In your life, the cares of uh, of this world, the thorns uh, directly in our life, listen, they're, they're probably not directly because of your sin. But these thorns in our lives, the cares of this world, they are indirectly because of Adam's general sin. They're not so much the punishment for your specific sin. They are a byproduct of general sin. What are the cares of this world? Anything that causes your heart to care more than it should. You know what cares of this world are? Monthly bills. Those are cares. Daily laundry. That's a care. 
the daily grind of living. These are all thorns. They're not sins. They're just thorns. They're just there. The flat tire on the way to work. What is that? It's a thorn. Nobody's at fault. It's just a thorn. The deadline at work for your next project. The, the nightly homework that seemingly never ends with your kids. The cutting of the grass on the weekend. The fixing the roof. The painting the house. What are these? They're thorns. It's the cares of this world. That's what they are. The weekly ministry, the preparing of lessons, the confrontations that you don't want to have, the difficult conversations, the body aches, the loss of loved ones, political turmoil, economic turmoil. What are these? These aren't sins. They're just thorns. They're the cares of this world. Things that have to be done that are not sinful, they're just They're just thorny. They're annoying. They're troublesome. They cause frustration. There's there's no direct sin that brought them into your life. They're just there. It's the cares of this world. They're thorns. But it's not just the cares of this world that are thorns. Notice what the Bible says in verse 19. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. You see, riches are deceitful in a few ways. You see, riches are deceitful because... We're deceived, we, human beings, me, you, we are deceived into thinking that riches will satisfy us. You see, riches deceive us because we naturally think that if we had a few more bucks, we'd be satisfied. In fact, do you know how much money the average person really wants? Just a little bit more. It's the old joke with the farmer. How much land does the farmer want? Just a little bit more. We think that riches will satisfy us. Ultimately, they will not. Also, riches deceive us because we think that through riches we'll get security. We will not. They will not satisfy us and they will not give us security. You see, we think in our heart that if we were just independently wealthy, that we would have no worries. And I want you to understand because we think that if we were not living paycheck to paycheck, if we had enough money, we would never worry again. Think about it. We think that if we would have enough money, we would never worry about what? The cares of this world. And so we actually trade one thorn for the next thorn. And we have the cares of this world that weigh us down so much that we pursue the next thorn, the deceitfulness of riches, to help us with the first thorn. And now we have two thorns in our lives. That's what we have. That's what the thorns are. But that's okay because we're humans. We don't learn very quickly. And we move on to the third thorn. The Bible says in verse 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in. The lusts of other things. First of all, notice it does not say lust of a thing. Because your lust will never stop at just one thing. In fact, what is lust? Lust is simply the desire of the forbidden. That's what Eve struggled with. Eve struggled with the lust of the forbidden, meaning she wanted something that was forbidden to her. She took of that. She engaged in her lust and she took it. Lust is not a male sin. Lust is a human sin. And the lusts of other things, lusts are never satisfied. You go from one lust to the next lust. And so what is this third thorn? Well, the first thorn was the cares of this world, and we get so bogged down with the cares of this world that we pursue riches to help us with the first thorn, and then we find out we have a second thorn. But now that we got this second thorn, the deceitfulness of all these riches, what do we do with our riches? 
We go buy stuff. And we engage and pursue all the things that we could have never gotten if it wasn't for our money. And so it's almost like one thorn just leads us naturally to another thorn. Until all of these thorns just choke out the word of God in our heart and mind. That is what happens. And so when the Bible says that the sower sows the seed, everybody in this room from this end to this end, as we look at what the thorns really are, we can all step back and honestly say, yeah, I got that in my life. Every last one of us. This is not a male sin. This is not a female sin. These are things that we all struggle with from time to time. You see, the lust of other things is just a simpler and a shorter version of what the great apostle John expands upon in his, in his epistle. You see, in 1 John chapter 2, John says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so John expands upon this same basic thorn. This world system is one big thorn bush. It's a briar bush is all that this world system is. And so what are the thorns in our lives? The Bible's very clear here in Mark chapter 4. They are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. But notice what happens in verse 19. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things, entering in. And these thorns, these things that are just a part of life, they enter in and they choke the word, watch this, and it becometh unfruitful. Let me ask you a question. Are you barren tonight? Are you, are you, do you feel exhausted spiritually, emotionally? Are, have you been choked out to such a degree that according to verse 19, you are no longer fruitful? You are unfruitful. If so, I would challenge you. I would encourage you. Consider this list of where the thorns just creep in and take over our life. These are not sinful things necessarily. They're just things. It's just life. And they enter in and they choke out the word of God. Think about it with me. How many times have you gotten up in the morning and you've thought to yourself, I'm going to read my Bible this morning. And, and, and you didn't mean to, but you just never got around to it. You, you, you had to reply to the email. You had to go to work. You had to feed the kids. The dog needed to be walked. The house needed to be painted. The grass needed to be cut over and over and over and over again. What happened to you that day? The thorns of this world choked out the word of God. How many teenagers, how many adults have I seen go to a summer trip and engage in a revival service of some sort where the word of God was planted deep in their heart, deep in their soul. They knew that they could do something for the Lord. And they go back out to their friends, to their car. They turn on the music. They, they get back into the rut of life. What happened to that word of God that was sown? The thorns of this world choked that word of God out. How many doors have we knocked on where we've tried to witness to somebody about their never dying soul and they're too busy because they're cutting the grass, right. eating dinner, taking care of the kids, painting the house, got an appointment on my way to work. None of these are bad. None of them. What is it? It's the cares of this world. It's the thorns that are choking out the word of God in people's lives. This isn't just a saved or unsaved. This is every human being deals with the thorns of this world. Yeah. And they enter in and they choke you. They 
devour you. They cause you to be barren. They cause you to be unfruitful with the word of God. Life just has a way of choking out the word of God. This doesn't make you evil. It doesn't make you wicked. You know what it makes you? It makes you human. The sin curse upon this world, it's thorns and thistles. But the word of God will never take root in your heart until you learn to keep the thorns at bay. The word of God will never mean anything to you until you learn to battle the thorns in your life. And you will never battle the thorns in your life until you first recognize that they're thorns. You know what Facebook is? It's a thorn. Twitter, most of the internet, it's a thorn. You'll never stop seeing the thorns as anything but they are until you start to recognize them from God's perspective that they're thorns. Your kids' practice schedule, school projects, play dates, they're not sins, but they're thorns keeping you from the Bible. Your corporate deadlines, your bills, your hobbies, they're not sins, but they're thorns that are keeping you from the Word of God. Listen, you show me somebody who has walked with God for decades. You show, show me somebody that has the joy of the Lord in their spirit, and I will show you somebody that has learned to identify the thorns in their life, and they have done everything that they can, that in spite of the thorns, they have fit the Word of God, they have fit Jesus Christ, they have fit church into their life amidst the thorns. That is what they have done. So what do we do with these thorns? Go to John chapter 19. John chapter number 19. While you're turning to John 19, I'll read a couple of verses from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The Bible says the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, on the cross, Jesus Christ himself took the curse of our sin. The Bible says he literally became sin for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so on the cross, Jesus became the mediator between God and man. On the cross, Jesus was the propitiation. He was our mercy seat for our sins before a holy God. But the Bible in Isaiah talks more than just transgressions and iniquities and sins. Yes, Jesus took our transgressions, our iniquities, and our sins. But did you know that Isaiah also talks about things that are not iniquities, transgressions, and sins? Isaiah also tells us that our Savior did not just take our sins on the cross. It also says he took our griefs and our sorrows. These are things that have nothing to do with heaven. These are things that have everything to do with earth. So God placed upon Jesus Christ the curse of sin when Jesus was on the cross to take care of our transgressions, our iniquities, and our sins. But how did God go about helping us with our griefs and our sorrows? Yes, God took care of our eternal life when we accept Christ as our Savior. But man, what about these thorns? What about the daily cares of this world? What about the deceitfulness of riches? What about the lusts of other things? The Bible says in John chapter 19, verse number one, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. We can't fathom what that means. You, 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 would, you would crumple 
in fear and tears if you saw a man getting scourged. We do not even comprehend the pain that he endured for us. The Bible says in verse 2, And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And so how did God take care of our griefs? How did God take care of our sorrows? He took care of our sins when Christ was on the cross. He took care of our sins when God the Father took the curse of sin upon Christ on the cross. But what about the thorns? You see, what happened here in John chapter 19 is when Jesus Christ, not on the cross, when Jesus Christ was on the ground, God, through this devil-filled Roman soldier, took the curse of this earth and placed it upon the head of Jesus Christ. You see, remember back in Genesis chapter 3 that the symbol literally and figuratively of the cursed ground was now thorns and thistles. And in a very real way, God the Father was taking the curse of the ground, these thorns and thistles, and through these Roman soldiers who twisted them together, flattened them down, and placed them upon the head of Jesus, God was taking the sin-cursed world, the earth, the curse of the earth, and placing it upon the innocent brow of his son. And so God was transferring the curse of the ground to the head of the Savior. And so that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, yes, he died for your transgressions. He died for your iniquities. He died for your sins. But listen, he also bore your griefs while on the earth. And that's what symbolized in the cross of thorns. Uh, that's what symbolized in the crown of thorns. He bore your griefs. He bore your sorrows. You see, so please hear me. Jesus, when you go to him, he does not just forgive you of your sin so you can enter heaven. You can take your thorns to him because ultimately this sin-cursed world pictured by these thorns was placed upon the Savior so that when you go to Christ, you don't go to him just for salvation, although that would be enough. You go to him with the trials of this life. You go to him with the cares of this life. You go to him with the deceitfulness of riches. You go to him with the lusts of this world. What are you doing? You're taking your thorns to him. He bore our thorns on his head. He bore our sins on the cross. Tonight, listen, I encourage you, if you're having trouble with the thorns in your life, you go to the Savior who quite literally bore the thorns of all mankind. When the God the Father placed the crown of thorns upon the head of Christ, he was taking that curse from you and placing it to him. Understand, if you die without Christ as Savior, you will die with this curse upon you. That's why you'll go to hell. And when you get saved, you accept Christ as your Savior, you are asking God to transfer this, this, uh, this sin from your life to Christ, these thorns from your life to Christ. And it is there that you not only get a, a place in heaven, but you have somebody in Christ that you can go to with the thorns of this life. Listen, Jesus Christ, even when you're saved, he cannot remove the thorns from this world. It's a sin-cursed world. But listen, he can remove the thorns from you. He can remove the cares of this world from you. He can help you with the deceitful niches of riches with you. He can help you with the lust of other things with you. What are these thorns? They're not sin. It's just stuff that grows up, chokes out the word of God. And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, we walk away and we're feeling unfruitful. We're feeling barren. We're feeling empty inside. 
listen, that's nobody else's fault but ours. We have allowed the thorns of this world to choke out the word of God that he wants to plant deeply in our heart. Brother Wally.